Hey, welcome everyone. I want to dedicate my words to our bride and groom, Britton Allison, who just got married yesterday and who I spoke about this past Shabbat at MGE. And I want to speak specifically about the Jewish concept of humility and sacrifice, which very much applies to this particular couple and is something we should all be thinking about as we get closer to Passover. The opening word in our Parsha, Parshat Vayikra, to call out, has got a little change in font, right? It's written with a small aleph. If you open up a Torah scroll, you open up any chumash, you'll see that the word Vayikra, Vav, Yud, Kuf, Resh, Aleph, the aleph is much smaller than the rest of the letters. And the question is why? Why is the letter written in a different font? Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel, great medieval sage, expressed a famous idea. It's an expression of humility. Moses wanted to write that God just sort of happened upon him. The word Vayikra means to call out, right? And, and, it, and it denotes that God wanted specifically to speak with Moses. But if you get rid of the Aleph, which is what Moshe wanted, it was just like Hashem kind of like happened upon Moses. You know, it's like you bumped into someone on the street as opposed to, can I have a meeting with you? And that's Moshe's humility. But God forbade him from doing so because it was inaccurate. So they arrived at a compromise, which was to write the final letter, Aleph, but smaller than the rest. But this is really not the first time in the Torah that we see that the word Vayikra is used in concert with Moses. There are two other such occasions, at the burning bush and at the revelation at Sinai. What's so special about this situation? When God calls out to Moses in this week's Parsha, Parsha Vayikra, to tell him about the sacrifices, that this word is written differently. So Rav, Ar- Rav Avraham Shmuel Binyamin Sofer of Pressburg, I know that's a, that's a mouthful. He was nicknamed the Ktav Sofer after a book that he wrote. He quotes the Talmud, which says that a person cannot hope to reach prophecy unless they are intelligent, wealthy, possess physical and mental strengths, and are also humble. These are all characteristics, of course, of Moshe. Now, intelligence and humility make a lot of sense in terms of what are the prerequisites for receiving God's prophecy. But why wealth and physical strength? The Ketav Sofer explains that true humility can only be found when one possesses attributes that other people find honorable or worthy. But the person still remains humble. Right? It's easy to be humble when you lack the qualities of wealth, of physical strength, intelligence. But being humble when you have a great deal to be proud of, that's a whole other level. And of course, we don't always see that in our society. Right? We see individuals of great prominence of wealth, unfortunately, sometimes expressing arrogance. And people who don't have so much to show for their lives are a little more humble. But humility should just be the opposite. Everyone should be humble, particularly those that have wealth and great intelligence. And when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, and then on Mount Sinai, he had not yet become wealthy. He had not yet given the Torah to the Jewish people. But now when God calls upon Moshe to transmit the laws of the sacrifices, he had reached the pinnacle of his stature. And yet he was as humble as ever. Humility is such an incredible trait. And I said this about our couple on Shabbat, Brett and Allison, they're both very smart and accomplished, but humble individuals. And it's a critical trait for both religious devotion. Very hard to let God in when you think too much of yourself. I had one of my teachers who used to work on the guy's egos. 
before he could work on their religious devotion because it's, it's just not, you know, if you know everything or you think you know everything, then there's no room for more. The cup is already filled. But it's also a very indispensable trait as far as relationships go as well, right? To give your partner the space they need, to be able to listen, to genuinely hear what the other person thinks. You need a trait, you need a sense of humility for this. Very hard. I see this. I do a lot of fundraising for important, wealthy CEOs of major corporations to stay married, right? Everybody's kowtowing them to them all day. Can I get you this? Can I do that? And then you come home and you now have to make space for someone else, right? You have to actually be a partner in a relationship. How can you do that? Everybody's sucking up to you all day. It's not so simple. Humility is an incredibly important trait and Moses expressed it better than anyone else. Now, the other trait necessary for both relationships and religious devotion is sacrifice. And that's what this entire book in the book of Leviticus of Sefer Vayikra is about. This week's Parsha begins an entire book of the Torah devoted to the sacrifices that were brought in the temple. And it's hard, of, of, of course, for us moderns to wrap our hands around animal sacrifice. But Rav Hirsch, the great German-Jewish philosopher, offered a very powerful idea, an insight into karbanot, into what sacrifices are about. He said, very simply, that we humans live in two dimensions. We have an animal impulse and we have a spiritual impulse. We have an animal part of us, which is the desire to do whatever we want, how we want to do it. We have an appetite that often seems insatiable. But we have the second dimension at Selim Elohim, created in the image of God. It could be either our free will capacity to live more disciplined, reasonable lives, or it could actually be the mystical spiritual part of Hashem that exists within each and one of us. And we've got this tension. We have a tension between satisfying the physical ego part of who we are or channeling those physical energies to lead a more refined and spiritual life. Whether it's just speaking our minds and say, saying whatever it is we feel, irrespective of how it impacts other people, it's just, or it's just, or, 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 or it's thinking about what we say, or it's just eating what we want because it looks good, to exercising a little discipline over what we consume. It's really a battle between our animal impulse, our pleasure-seeking, procrastinating part of who we are, and the part of God that exists within us that's really holy and refined. And Rav Hirsch suggested that when the Jew would bring a korban, a sacrifice, in the days of the temple, what they were doing was demonstrating their battle with their animal dimension, sacrificing that animal part of them upon the altar to enable their more refined dimension to shine. Now, we don't have sacrifices anymore, but we have this book of Leviticus to remind us that that battle continues to rage, to remind us of the importance of making sacrifices, making investments of our time and energy, which is critical for our relationship with God and with our fellow human being. And for that requires investment and sacrifice. I heard something so powerful about the prophet Hosea. He's rebuking the Jewish people and he's telling the Jewish people that God is going to get so angry if you veer off on his path and, he's, and he compares the anger that God is going to have with the Jewish people to the anger of a bear whose young has been taken away. And Radak, one of the classical commentaries, asks, why a bear? Why not the, a lion like the king of the jungle? And Radak answers, because a bear is different than all other animals. Because when all other animals give birth, the animal emerges as a finished product. 
But when a bear gives birth to its cub, it emerges within its embryonic sac. And the mother has to somehow pry loose the little cub from the sac. And it's got these, you know, clumsy big hands, has to use its teeth and extra care and consideration has to go into the birth process, if you will, of a bear than any other animal. And therefore, if the cub would be taken away from the mother bear, it would experience greater pain, greater sorrow than other animals who have to devote and sacrifice for the birth of their, tra- of their offspring, but not like a bear. The more effort we invest in something, the more we have to put in, the more delicate, the more intricate, the more time and investment we make, the more we're going to feel for whatever it is. It's as simple as that. Take anything in life that's important to you. I bet you it took a lot of time. Maybe it was a graduate degree. Maybe it was a relationship. The easy, schmeasy things come and go. It's the stuff that really we work hard on that makes all the difference. That's why in the morning when we wake up, and we say the Berchot HaTorah, the blessings over the study of Torah, we don't just say Lil Mod Torah, thank you God for giving us the opportunity to study Torah. We say La'asok Edivrei Torah, to be immersed in your words of Torah. Study implies a mere cognitive activity, but La'asok to delve into, right? Study is what people do in libraries. I remember years ago, I brought a group from MJ up to Yeshiva University to check out the library, the Beit Midrash. And we were walking and everybody got quiet because we were approaching the library. I opened up the doors of the Beit Midrash and a roar of just noise came out of the Beit Midrash. People were, some sitting in their chairs, some standing. People were screaming. They were yelling. They were grappling with the text. They weren't just studying it with a pipe and you know, pondering. They were really trying to understand what God wants from them by delving into the Torah and by being fully immersed with effort, with investment, with toil, with sacrifice. Maimonides wrote that wisdom which is acquired without toil will never remain. And Shlomo HaMelech, the wise Solomon, wrote in his book of, of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, that the only wisdom which ever stayed with him was the wisdom that he acquired with the sweat of his brow. And again, think of anything in your personal life that required hard work, how much more meaningful were the results of that hard work. It was truly a merit watching Allison when she was in our fellowship program last year, coming every week to classes, sticking with the program. She did the best homeworks and she spent time and she's busy. She's got a job like everybody else, has personal relationships, but took the time and applied herself and sacrificed. And Brett was one of the few individuals we could always count on during COVID, no matter where the minion was, no matter how cold it was outside, six feet, masks, Brett was there. And they got so much out of that. It's not like they were doing us a favor. They were building themselves. Passover is coming up. It's the holiday. We wish each other a happy and kosher Passover because it requires investment. We have to prepare for it. We have to search out for the chametz, kasher our kitchens, sell the chametz, nullify the chametz. We go to all these great you know, lengths to be able to deal with the situation. But then on the night of the Seder, it feels pretty powerful because we didn't just show up. We did something to prep ourselves. Ein Kedusha Bali HaChana, Rav Soloveitchik famously said, there can be no sanctity, no holiness without preparation. Take this week to start preparing for the holiday. I guarantee you the holiday will be different.
You can go on my WhatsApp chat, Beyond the Instant. I'm giving little notes every day, ideas to share at your Seder. Start thinking about where the food's going to go. Get into it. A little investment. And please, God, all of the hard work and effort that Brett and Allison put in to their Yiddishkeit and now their relationship should result in the building of a beautiful Jewish home because they didn't just show up. They worked to get to this place. Work is the way to build ourselves. Please, please God, we should all continue to do that as we go from strength to strength. Thank you for listening.